What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric here alongside Rod after Michigan State's 73-71 win over the Villanova Wildcats at the Breslin Center. Before we start, I'd like to thank those of us, uh, those of you who are supporting our show. We made this a top 50 show in America for basketball. And first, the patrons who support us financially. If you like what we're doing, if you like the content and what we're providing to Spartan Nation, please consider supporting us. You can go to Patreon uh, through our website at tffinots.com support. You can join others like at the Cleves level, Brian O'Donnell and Chad Hickey, who will be getting t-shirts soon, as soon as the design is done, which is going to be in a couple weeks. And those, of course, will be available to others to purchase if you want. I'm looking forward to wearing mine to the Breslin Center. You can also join the Draymond Green level, like Ben Rankin, Adam Walzak, Doug Robinson, or James Benton. Uh, we also have some Scott Skiles supporters. You can do the monthly recurring donation there, or you could certainly support us through one-time donations through PayPal or Venmo, or even check if you want to reach out to me at eric at tffinots.com. I'd also like to make a scheduling note that we're very excited. We're going to be having, after the Penn State game, our post-game analysis will be with retired assistant coach Mike Garland. So make sure you circle your calendar and don't miss that. So again, we're trying to do all sorts of things, not only just for us to have fun and interesting voices to bring on the show, but also just to bring that extra kind of cool content for the Spartans fans alike. All right, so we'll get into this game. Michigan State wins 73-71 over the Villanova Wildcats in a snowy day, which has been snowmageddon for us over on the west side of the state. It was a game that Michigan State had well in hand with nine minutes to go. They were up 16 over a team that I think we had pretty much thought they should be able to handle okay, especially Villanova being down their top two players probably. And the game suddenly got really close. Michigan State did a lot of things well in the game until late. And then sort of it looked like one of those games where kind of the wheels might come off. I think overall, when you look at, I guess, themes in the game, Tyson Walker certainly looks like he's going to be able to continue his run that he's had where he's a much more aggressive player, which is what we've been hoping for before the season. And then Madi Sissoko came down to earth and he looked, uh, had struggled, I think, offensively and defensively in that game. And just a team that decided, especially, you know, with their laden with seniors, Villanova decided to go inside in the second half and really change the complexion of the game as they drew a lot of fouls. And even though their field goal percentage was not spectacular, it was significantly better in the second half. Uh, but they really made up for it on the free throw line, hitting 15 of 19 free throws down the stretch. That was one of the big differences in the game to make it so close. So, Rod, what's your impressions of the game as well? Yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot, lot, lot of good things and then the last it was actually even worse they were up because i 
<laughs> I've made myself go back and rewatch <laughs> the end. So I had the sequence right. Michigan State was up 16 at the under eight. 7.58 on the clock, they were up 16 points. <laughs> and, you know, it, it came down to what it came down to where they, Villanova actually got as close as one um, before Tyson Walker split those last two free throws to put MSU up two. And then, of course, Villanova had a chance to win. Um, disappointing that it that it went that way. But, you know, I, I've, I've watched uh, this morning, I watched as those press conference and I think he's doing a good job and I think as fans we need to try to follow his lead of keeping things in perspective because it's easy to come out of that game feeling almost as if it was a loss right and sometimes that that's yeah. the way it feels you have a big lead you play so impressively and then you let somebody come almost all the way back and you manage to escape it, it doesn't feel the same way you know, it did where Michigan State hung in there against Kentucky and then made plays late to go win it. You know, you feel like you held on as opposed to winning it. But this was a test. I mean, let, let's be honest. Villanova had not played well yet this season. And there are reasons for that. You mentioned there, as we talked about in the preview, they're arguably their two best players are, are currently out of the lineup. Um, they've had a coaching change, you know, Jay Wright is no longer a voice there, um, on a day-to-day basis. So all of those things can, can impact it, but they were not that team yesterday. I think, and I thought that even when Michigan state was out to a 16 point lead, I, I didn't think it was that Villanova was bad. I thought Michigan state was that good, you know? Yes. Um, I agree. and then Michigan State's level slipped in some important ways, uh, turnovers, some poor shot selection, and the defensive screws maybe weren't quite as tight, and Villanova came storming back. And you have to remember, this is something Izzo pointed out, uh, that's a program, and Michigan State fans should be able to relate to this because we've seen it here for many, many years. There's championship DNA in that program, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of those guys on that floor last night played in a final four last year. So these are, these are guys who, even if they've been struggling this <laughs> season, they know what it, they know what it takes to play winning basketball. And I thought, I thought they were exactly what you expect a Villanova team to be. They just kept coming. They didn't quit. They executed when it mattered. They were physically and mentally tough. And, you know, if, you, if you're not able to match that, I mean, how how has Villanova won the way over the past, you know, decade especially? It's, it's that way, right? I mean, we've seen this again and again and again over the years. Villanova teams, late game situations, they are just tough as nails, both physically and mentally. They don't break. I think I may have made this comparison in the in the preview, uh, but it, it really, as I'm thinking about it now, the day after that game, it it really hits me. They remind me so much of a kind of a an athletically supercharged Wisconsin. I mean, they really do. Not that they're yeah. exactly the same program, but 
boy, you look at that game. What do they do defensively? They've been having problems in their first three games guarding people on the perimeter. And I think that, you know, that's a real problem against Michigan State's guards if you can't do that. So what did they do? Well, they packed it in. Four guys below the free throw line or in the light with a foot in the lane, right? And some of that is why mm-hmm. Michigan State shot so well from three. But but the other end of it is it really prevented Michigan State from doing much of anything in the paint. Couldn't get clean post-up looks, certainly couldn't penetrate. Well, that's Wisconsin. That's what Wisconsin typically does yeah. to you. On offense, the ball movement, the man movement, I thought – I thought they did as good a job as I've seen anybody in recent years do of forcing Michigan State to switch until they, I mean, they just went out and hunted mismatches, you know, and, and then would go after yep. you and, and especially down the stretch, just continue to succeed, just continue to punish you. And it wasn't even so much that they were forcing mismatches and switches per se. It's that, they would have some mismatches, you know, trying to guard the Dixon kid was even tougher than I'd anticipated. And I thought it was going to be a challenge. Well, they kept going to him, you know, and, and, uh, made Michigan state pay for it. That's, that's what well-drilled successful programs with championship DNA do. They know how to compete. They know how to win. And so, getting back to keeping things in perspective, you're playing a program like that who clearly played, I I've got to believe that's their best game of the season so far. And you're coming off what Michigan state has come off of what they've already had to do. It's not easy. You know, and I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm just, you know, calling it as I see it. It's not, it's not an easy (laughs) thing. And, you know, we knew coming into this, there was a lot of talk of the fan base. Hey, if we can, if we come out of this eight game stretch, you know, four and four, we're going to, that'll be spectacular. You know, and a lot of the pessimists, were, oh, they're going to be two and six, one and seven, you know, that kind of talk. Well, we knew it was going to be very challenging. And so for MSU to come through this, find a way to win. And, and let's not let this get lost too, before we move on. Yes. Michigan state made a lot of poor decisions late to let this become um, a, a game or one possession game. But the last offensive possession for Tyson Walker to be aggressive enough to draw that foul. And I, I know he didn't hit both, but he hit one, which they needed. Um, that was big. I consider that going and making a play. And then, defensively that last possession i went back and rewatched it that was great stuff that was great stuff yeah. from two guys in particular malik hall who i thought did a tremendous job on their guard daniels i mean it, one of the biggest problems in that stretch of the second half was that malik was in foul trouble and they couldn't play him but uh when he was in their second straight game he you know for a guy that supposedly was going to struggle guarding guarding threes he's been guarding a lot of twos (laughs) and that's the second straight game he's really largely locked down a very good player that's their leading scorer um he did a good job forcing daniels to give it up and then dixon 
got the ball in the end. And you know who was right there on a very good contest without fouling on Dixon's three, Mati Sissoko. Yep. So give Michigan State credit defensively for making that last possession tough and, and really not allowing Villanova to get off a very clean look. And they had time. They had seven seconds of change with the ball on the forecourt. So it wasn't as if um, that was it. You know, it wasn't as if they had the challenge Michigan State did at the end of the first overtime against Kentucky. You know, they were in position where they had an opportunity to execute a play and plenty of time to do it. And Michigan State shut it down. So they made a couple plays when they needed to most to seal it. And I think you got to give them credit for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think there were a lot of positives that came out of that game. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, you know the the I feel the one pivotal possession was the one, I think it was the one right before that, where they, there was that kind of strange turnover with between Walker and Hogarth as they were sort of dribbling and right that next to each other. That was a few possessions so before. A.J. Hogarth walked, you're talking about the one where he walked himself into a turnover and then, and then, yeah, and it was then just compounded weird. it. Yeah by fouling a kid driving in for a layup to allow for a three-point play. Yeah, that was yeah. disastrous. Uh, that, that was one of the things that, uh, you know, again, a lot of positives, but some negatives. A.J. Hogard, in many ways, played his best game of the season, but down the stretch, he was horrific. Other other than, I can't, I can't say that completely, because in the middle of all that horror, he made a brilliant play to going behind his back in lane oh yeah for a big bucket <laughs> so even then he did a positive thing but yeah i was not happy with aj down the stretch that turnover was an awful awful turnover he he took himself into that you could see villanova i could see it he had to have you could see villanova waiting to trap and and you know he and tyson were so close to each other that of course that made it easier still because Tyson's man is there. He's already in position, right? And AJ's got to have mm-hmm. the vision and the instinct to not dribble. And then, of course, he's in the corner. So the sideline is an additional defender. It was just a bad, bad, bad decision. And then again, you compound it by fouling a guy. Not good. Yeah. Well, why don't we go through the keys of the game? So number one would be handling success. And so I think this is the, this is what you sort of alluded to earlier that you have a team that, came off the big Kentucky win, almost beat Gonzaga, and uh, had to find some way to sort of refocus. And with a team that everyone had been talking about them struggling a little bit, but of course is a story program. And I think they did okay at this at this uh, for most of the game. It's just to the end. And, you know, this is, I think in some ways you could say, well, this is a really great learning opportunity to show that this team, to show the team, if they didn't already know this, that they don't have a huge margin for, you know, being lax with the ball or to just assume you can just kind of go up and down the court and not pay much attention and, and keep those screws tight. like you mentioned with on defense, they have to bring it for 40 minutes because they're not so talented that they can just overwhelm well, people. This look, there's proof 16 point lead with seven fifty eight to go. You let it get down to one, you know, no, they don't, they don't have enough where they can just roll out the balls. Um, I am. It's a, it's a very difficult one to sort through that question because first of all, they won. So did they handle success? Well, by the ultimate measurement, the answer is yes. (laughs) Right. That's what matters. Yeah. Right. You win the game to quote Herm, the great Herm Edwards, Um, (laughs) you play to win the game and they did, but 
we also know from watching that game, there's reason to think, well, maybe a lot of that last eight minutes, some fat and sassy got in there. Um, I don't, I don't think it was an effort thing though. Watching the game. I, I didn't feel, Oh, Michigan state just stopped playing. I think it was a focus thing where I think they, um, you know, they ended up with 12 turnovers in the game. And a lot of those came late. And I think that is usually a sign of a lack of focus. I think some of the shot selection was a sign of a lack of focus. And then I think defensively, they weren't quite as, um, they weren't quite as locked in as they had been for a lot of that game. You know, there were some, there was some weird stuff where, you know, good at Tyson Walker, an extremely good player gets blown by uh, a kid who has no business ever going by him, you know? Um, and it was because yeah. of defensive balance. He just didn't get himself set where he needed to be. Those kinds of things happened. And again, I don't think I, I never detected that oh, Michigan State's just, you know, gasping and praying, limping to get to the finish line. And they're not really playing hard. I thought they continued to play hard. I just didn't think they played well. They didn't play with that same kind of focus that got them that 16 point lead. And so that's, you know, is that a sign that they didn't handle success well, that they you know, they were up 16 and they just, just, you know, felt like, well, the game's over and they didn't see it through maybe. And boy, you'd, you'd, you'd hope that you're able to learn some lessons in a win rather than a loss that that would be ideal if they, they take that. I think the good news is, Izzo's going to have, you know, he's got a win and yet he's coming away heading into Portland with some tape, right? He can, he, those guys are going to have a few days that, um, I'm not saying he's going to come in breathing hellfire because I don't think that necessarily, but, um, you know, it's not all, it's not all, uh, flowers coming out of that thing either. And, and so that should allow them to learn some lessons from this one again, while thankfully not having to take a loss in order to do it, but they do need to learn the lessons because, you know, that's not the last opponent they're going to have this season that um, is capable of doing something like that to them. You know, it's 40 minutes right. and you got to execute for 40 minutes. That was the thing that I was so pleased by in the Kentucky game and really even the Gonzaga game, even though Gonzaga, you know, had a 12 point deficit they came back from. That was that was a different scenario. I was watching the game with a friend of mine who was saying, oh, here we go again said, no, this is different because Gonzaga MSU had a 12-point lead very briefly early in the second half, and Gonzaga really erased a lot of that pretty quickly. Most of the second half was played in a fairly close margin. Kentucky, almost all of it, was played in a very tight window, as we talked about. So they've had games already where it was possession of possession of possession pretty much the whole way that they had to stay focused and they did a great job of that. I, that was one of the things I was I've really been impressed by this game. Not so much. So you hope that you're learning something from that. 
you know, but I, I think overall, yeah. you know, they won the game. So you got to give them a passing grade here. But obviously there were some some things we didn't like down the stretch. Yeah, I think we'd feel different if this team was Howard and not Villanova. And but so it was, you know, this is this is a real legitimate team, right? That's what you have to Clearly, keep in mind. Th- th- yeah, that was you have to give you do have to give Villanova some credit. I mean, one of the things that happened down the stretch, too, for all the ways Michigan State was making poor decisions and giving them an opportunity. Let's not lose sight of the fact that Villanova took advantage of it. They, a team that really struggled shooting the ball and in part because of the way Michigan state guarded them hit some huge threes. I mean, they, they made plays, you know, and, and so you've got to, you've got to give credit to a team that, as I was talking about earlier, these are guys who have been through it. They know what it takes to win. And, they went out there and did the things that they had to do when the opportunity presented itself to get back in the game. So give them some credit too. Yeah. So number two key to the game was guards. And if you look at Tyson Walker, his final num- uh, numbers, he was nine of 14 from the field, three of six from three, one of two from the line with uh, finishing with any three rebounds with finishing 22 points with five assists and one turnover. He had a steal. AJ Hogard was five of 12 from the field, three of six from, you know, he's a sniper, right? Three of six from three. He had eight defensive rebounds, uh, 10 assists, three turnovers, a block and a steal. So almost a triple double. And uh, Jaden Akins, who ended up leaving uh, late with that game with about six minutes left with a, an injury, which is, I don't think we quite know what it is, but it made it sound like it wasn't too serious yet. Uh, he was four or seven from the field with that spectacular dunk. Uh, he was one of two from three with five rebounds, one of them offensive, and two assists and three turnovers and a steal, and nine, finished with nine points. So I think you could say the guards played really well. Well, let, yeah, and, and let's also look at the other end of it. So Villanova's guard, guards, Caleb Daniels, who I talked about, Malik Hall guarded him for a good portion of that game, has by far been their best player. He's been shooting the lights out. He had 13 points, but a lot of that came late. Four for 14 from the floor, one for eight from three. Um, they guarded the hell out of him. Arcea DeCono, six points, one for three, one for three. All, the, all of them were three-point shots, and he hit three for four from the line. Uh, Longino, their other guard, five points, two for six from the floor, one for four from three. Um, and then they had a couple guys off the bench. Hausen hit a three. Yeah. Uh, Angelo Brizzy went two for three from the floor for four points. So Mark Armstrong was scoreless. Michigan State's guards decisively, decisively won that battle. And that's really where the game was won for Michigan State, which should not have been surprising. That was um, that was what the, uh, the, the numbers suggested would probably happen. Uh, Villanova's guards, as I said, have struggled some. Now, I think... What was interesting in this game, and you mentioned A.J. Hogarth, so I'm going to touch on that for a second. Um, I mentioned in the preview, Villanova had really had some trouble containing opposing guards. And one of the things they were really struggling with was keeping people out of the lane. So the fact that, especially in the first half, I think it was more noticeable in the first half than the second. I thought the second they extended out a little bit more. But in that first half, man, they were playing. It was almost a pack line there. Everybody other <laughs> yeah. than the guy on the ball, everybody was below the free throw line with a foot in the lane. And, and so they made a conscious decision. Okay. 
we're going to make you beat us with jumpers. We are not going to give you the lane for those lobs to Sissoko. We're not going to allow your guards to blow by us. We're not certainly not going to allow post-ups. Um, and Michigan State said okay and went out and drilled them from three. I don't know if that was I, – I, I want to give Villanova credit to say they figured their weakness was such that they had no choice rather than, oh, we don't think Michigan State can shoot very well. Because you can't – Michigan State's shooting numbers are skewed right now, or they were before last night, by, um, by the, the Gonzaga game. This is right, a we, – right. we've talked about it. I mean, this is a team that we expect to shoot the three well. And, and so I, I want to think that was not Villanova being dumb enough to think that Michigan State couldn't hit threes – but rather that they were in a pick your poison scenario. And that was the choice yeah, they made. Right, I'll give right. them credit for that. Uh, but Michigan state made plays. AJ Hogard. Um, I, I gave him a little bit of a, a ding for the way he played down the stretch, but that was his best game of the season. Um, what was he? Two rebounds away from a triple double. Uh, that yeah, would have been eight defensive boards, and some of those are strong boards oh, yeah. too. Like he was jumping up high and getting through traffic. He was getting it's, he was look, impressive. That's the best perimeter between him. Some of what Aikens did. That was some of the best perimeter group rebounding I've seen in a while. I was very impressed. Um, and look, those those threes. That, that that is the first team in a long time. We've talked about this before. <laughs> That played <laughs> yeah. AJ Hogard the way I would be inclined to play him, which is you're the man on him when he's on the perimeter is 15 feet away, essentially <laughs> saying, I dare you. And they dared him and he went three for six. Um, he's got to be capable of doing that. If teams, if more teams are going to try to play him that way in particular, he has no choice. He has to be able, and at this point, I think you have to give him that opportunity. You know, we're not yet at a stage where we say, okay, we, you know, we gotta, we gotta figure something else out because we can't just let him keep throwing up bricks. You know, he hit the shots. He did what he had to do. I mentioned that play he made down the stretch, the one good play he made down the stretch. And, and I, I also want to give him a little bit of a break here. He was clearly cramping down the stretch too. That's a mild concern that it, it seems to keep happening. They got to figure that out with him because that's, that's not the first time this year it's happened to him, but he was, he went in and out a little bit, you know, he went out of the game, maybe just under the seven minute mark with cramping and then came back. That may have played a part in some of the, some of the mistakes that he made down the stretch, but boy, he made a huge play. As I said, that going behind his back in the middle of the lane to get himself a layup. That was impressive stuff. Hitting the threes was impressive. The 10 assists, the eight rebounds, good defense. Most of the way, a uh, lot of good things from AJ Jaden Akins. I, I went back and rewatched it. And I, I imagine you probably haven't um, when he got hurt. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there Izzo was Izzo was, uh, fairly nonchalant about it in the post game. So at least, and he stayed on the bench and he was walking. So those are all good things, but I watched it 
and I've watched it like three or four times. I didn't see him twist an ankle. I didn't see him twist a knee. It looked fairly normal. He jumped, came down, and then had pain. Um, what you're concerned about, and I'm not even sure, I, I haven't gone back and, and read about which foot it was. I'm not sure which foot it was that he had the surgical procedure done on, you know, for the stress, for the stress reaction. But that would be my concern until we hear that everything's okay. I mean, again, there are good signs in that, yeah, he was hobbling a little bit, but he was still putting weight on it. He didn't look like he was in immense pain. And I'm talking about like, I've actually seen footage of him going through the handshake line at the end of the game, um, you know, with the crowd, not the handshake line with Villanova. And, and he was moving, you know, he was under his own power, blah, blah, blah. So let's hope that it's no big deal. But I'm, and, and I'm usually one who stays optimistic about this stuff, but it was weird. I was kind of expecting and hoping almost to see that, oh, he twisted, you know, you could see he twisted the ankle. Yeah, Didn't happen right. that way. Mm -hmm. There was nothing obvious about it to my eyes, at least. And now I will emphasize I am not a physician, um, but it, it was weird. <laughs> it was very unfortunate because he clearly would have been in the game down the stretch. That was another reason that I think Michigan State maybe slipped just a little um, because I thought Jay Nakins was playing his best game of the year. Um, the nine points, I was no surprised. I, I thought he had more. I thought he was in double digits. Uh, the dunk was one of the, if it wasn't for the kid from Arkansas who had just an insane dunk a couple nights ago, Jade might have the dunk of the year so far. I mean, that was, that was full on Darrell Summers against UConn kind of stuff where he got legitimately challenged by Slater at the rim and just posterized him. I mean, that's, yeah. that was impressive. Obviously, we know he's capable of making those kind of plays, but I thought he did a lot of good things in that game. I was really pleased with the way he was playing. And it, you know, again, it seems like gradually the rust is starting to come off and we're starting to see why Michigan State's coaches have been so enthusiastic about who Jaden Akins can be this year. And I, I still do think he's the one guy on this team who. Can well, they always it, people always talk about really, really good teams, teams that can win things, you know, meaning get to final fours, win national championships, often have multiple yeah. NBA players. And you can, I, I could see why some might question that about this Michigan State team, but there are a couple guys who have that potential, and he's clearly one of them. Um, and you're starting, yeah, athletically, yeah, no you're question. starting to see what that's about. And then Tyson Walker. Um, I mean, what can you say about this guy? He's really, I think we've now seen uh, the complete progression of Tyson Walker into the kind of player that he's capable, fully capable of being, which was mostly about a mental progression, a psychological one. He had to believe that he was a guy capable who should be looking to make plays like he made last night. Down the stretch of that game, I, this is an obvious statement, but I guess it should be made. They don't win it without him. There's no way. 
he for for all the onslaught that Villanova was providing, Tyson Walker answered just enough to keep Michigan State's head yeah. above water. And not easy plays, you know. He's he's was making plays, oftentimes making plays for himself, creating space and hitting shots. So you look at his numbers. 22 points, nine for 14 from the floor, three for six from three, uh, three rebounds, but five assists to one turnover, had a steal, um, 34 minutes played as well. So he didn't get a lot of rest. Very, very, very impressive stuff. And that Tyson Walker, the Tyson Walker that we're beginning to see on a more regular basis now is a guy that can be critical to Michigan State winning things. And I'm not just talking about games. Yeah. He's a problem, both offensively and defensively for the other team, which is, you know, impressive that you're both ways. And I would say, you know, when we were looking at the season, when the preview show, um, you know, there were, there, I think there, from the, you mentioned the psychological thing. I think there were three players sort of that were, that we discussed. One was Joey Hauser. And the question was, would Joey Hauser continue being the player he was at the end of the season? And I think un, undoubtedly he has been. And so I think we would probably, we were probably the the most confident that he would be who he was. The next one was was uh, was Tyson Walker. Would he be that aggressive player? I think you. I don't know if you mentioned with him if you thought he was a you know all Big Ten sort of guard uh, that it was you know in him if he just if he'd realized it was there. And I think we're starting to see that that is. You know, I don't. I think you know you need a couple more games to be confident that it's there. But it, it sure looks like we've turned to that point where he's now recognizes who he is and who he can be for this team. And then thirdly, it's Malik Hall, who I don't think is there yet, where he's decided who that he's, you know, the, the baddest guy in the court uh, when he's there. He's played well, and he's and to your point with about defense, he's yeah. played really well. Uh, but I still feel like he's not quite there. And, you know, you look at past Michigan State teams, and I think you know, Aaron Henry's the most recent example. That's a, a good one. With a guy who just hadn't quite decided who he was, for almost the entire season, it wasn't until the very end that he just realized, recognized what he could be. And we've, we're only four games into the season. I think we've had two of those three questions answered, which is really, really good news and very encouraging for this team in the season. Uh, having said that about Malik, again, foul trouble kept him on the bench. So he only played 23 minutes. You know, I think we would have seen more from him. You know, Pierre ended up playing 15. And in a normal situation, Malik's probably playing 30. Um, yeah, 13 10, He yeah. wasn't a force on the board. He only had two boards. But he had, for a game where, you know, you feel like the consistency, obviously he was huge against Kentucky, right? So the sense I think you had in terms of what you just said was, okay, he hasn't found that game-to-game level yet because he wasn't there as much against Villanova. He still had 12 points. Right. He still played yeah. a really good defensive game. So I'm I'm actually pretty happy with where Malik's been. Um, I think I would be inclined to say all three of those guys have shown at least four games in that they're answering the bell. I want to, I want to make a Tyson Walker comparison and see what you think about it. Um, that, that just occurred to me as we've been talking, um, cause you, you mentioned the all big 10 thing. And so it, it, it caused a response in my mind to think about that (laughs) and you know who he's reminding me a lot of right now and this is high praise um i think he's doing a lot of the same things for michigan state that trent frazier did for illinois last year 
as a as a two way player, not a big guy, but um, really dictating games defensively, making big shots, being aggressive offensively, um, kind of not a not a pure point guard necessarily, but but definitely providing help at that position. You remember, I, I talked about it all year long. I thought Illinois was at their best when, when it was Trent Frazier's team. I think they got screwed up when they tried to force Curbelo in there. Um, Michigan State doesn't have that pro- same problem. But um, as I think about it, Tyson Walker could be having that kind of year, and I would take that in a heartbeat um, because Trent, Trent Frazier had played with so much um, mental toughness that was critical for Illinois. And you kind of could see Tyson Walker rounding into that for Michigan State, certainly with the way he played down the stretch last night. That was a very mentally tough performance from Tyson Walker. Yeah, no question. I mean, he looked like he did against, uh, was it Illinois yep. the last season, yep. where he just, you know, realized he was good and he just started taking over. He was in the flow, he was confident, and he was going out there every possession looking to make a play. So the number three key to the game was Madi Sissoko. You know, could Madi handle Eric Dixon, a different type of guard or a different type of center, and a guy who can hit the three and he moves moves a lot better than the past two guards? Uh, you know, I think Izzo mentioned he was disappointed in Madi's performance overall, and I think you know you mentioned he had a really good defensive stop at the last possession where he got in Dixon and made that a really really difficult shot. And and for the most part, you know, Villanova didn't have a whole lot of clean looks from three, which is impressive considering we had to control them down, down low. But, you know, Villanova got all their work done pretty much down low. I mean, Dixon had, ended up with 24 points on 9 of 14 from the field. He's 3 of 7 from the 3. And then Slater was the other uh, other player. He had 16 points down low. Uh, you know, he he was 5 of 9 from the field and 1 of 4 from 3. Uh, they combined for 15 of, of Villanova's rebounds. I mean, almost all of them, 15 of the 26. Those guys played really well. And I think, you know, Madi definitely looked... You know, he just he looked more uh, pedestrian at times, and he was had some trouble on some of those ball switches and and things that he, we hadn't seen before. And I mean, overall, I the one thing I would say watching him is his body language. He did not look like a guy. I mean, he looked a little frustrated a couple times, but he didn't look like someone who had um, given up or was hanging his head. He just looked like he was just kind of mad that things weren't weren't you know going well for him defensively out there, but. He and when Izzo had complained to him, he sort of nodded, you know, like he was understanding what he'd done. And so I don't know. I mean, it wasn't what you'd hope for, but I think it's good experience, and he's going to be, you know, facing all sorts of different types of fives in the Big Ten and uh, non-conference. So, I mean, you know, it didn't end up hurting us in the end. We still won, so maybe it's a great learning experience for him. This this is the one who got him. Obviously, you know, I uh, part of the reason I, I made this a key was. Um, I thought Dixon was the kind of test, and I think I might have even said this in the preview, that it will be as much of a mental challenge for Madi to stay focused uh, as anything physical. And I, boy, I think, unfortunately, I think that turned out to be prescient. I, I, I don't, I don't think he handled that particularly well. But again, it's a, it's not easy. Villanova runs really great stuff. Dixon is a very smart, clever player and a very skilled player. And you saw all of that on display. Um, 
and Mahdi just wasn't up to that challenge in this game. I also think that, you know, you look at the, the counting stats, part of what I'm a little bit disappointed with the rebounding. He only had three boards, but um, in terms of him not being able to be a scoring presence, a lot of that was the way Villanova opted to defend. You know, they yeah, they, oh yeah. they just packed it in. And so there just was not going to be those kind of dives to the rim off pick and roll action that uh, that were present in those first two games uh, or the last two games, I should say. Um, those those plays just were not going to be there. They, they made a choice to take that stuff away. So I'm not too bummed out about that. It was really the defensive end where Mahdi had had some trouble. You know, there was I know there was one of those threes that Dixon hit where it was just Mahdi just didn't get over a screen. You know, it was stuff yeah. that really the, the basics were not able to be executed consistently in that game. But again, let's give him credit. The last possession, he was where he needed to be, and he challenged effectively. That was a contested three. Um, and he did it without fouling, and the kid missed the shot. So he showed up when he had to. But, yeah, this is one, you know, look, it's a learning curve, right? I don't think anybody was convinced that, okay, Mahdi has arrived, and it's going to be, you know, to quote Al, uh, Al McGuire, sunshine and lollipops, the whole uh, the whole rest of the way, you know, you knew there were going to be these kind of moments that they're going to be more because he's going to have very different kinds of players to face in the big 10. I will say when you think about the guys who are at the top of the heap in the league at that position, so trace Jackson, Davis Dickinson, Edie, those guys, I don't think any of those guys pose a challenge like Dixon does. No, they're more like, the two guys he's seen some combination of the two guys he's seen previously where I thought he showed much better. And so, you know, hopefully that's a good sign, but yeah, this was, you know, it was a, it was a learning experience for him. You know, you have to say that, that this is the separation right now. You know, Madi's done some things that I actually, in, in the two previous games where, you know, I started thinking about guys like Xavier Tillman, um, he's not quite there yet as this game showed, because in a game like this, you know, that's where Xavier Tillman, the way he thought the game would have shown up. And, you know, a kid like Dixon wouldn't have gotten as many of those opportunities as he had. Um, Mahdi's still learning. That's what I take away from this. It's almost like this is his fourth game starting. Yeah, almost. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh Moving on to uh, number four is transition. You know, you look at the fast break points. Michigan State had 18 and Villanova 11. But, you know, Michigan State on that secondary break, they had a lot of, I mean, I'll say for the first, well, until that, until things started kind of gumming up and slowing down at the last eight minutes of the game, they looked really good. Their transition game was moving. They're getting open shots um, from three. They're getting able to attack the rim a little bit, although mostly it was most of it was a lot of threes that they were just getting really nice open looks and mainly through that, just pushing the ball. So I think overall that the transition game is looking a lot better. Yeah. And, and it was even more impressive. If you think about it from this perspective, I, I made the Wisconsin comparison that to me, Villanova is an athletically supercharged Wisconsin. One of the ways they really reminded me of Wisconsin was they had a super commitment to floor balance 
to trying to get back. Because if you looked at that game, I mean, what do they end up with in offensive rebounds? They have four, I think. They, yeah, they yeah they were at a 19 percent uh yeah or no sorry 15 percent offensive yeah rebound percentage. four four offensive rebounds and that wasn't an accident they were really weren't even contesting largely they had such a commitment to floor balance and yet michigan state was still able to get some things done they they scored <laughs> a lot they done, scored yeah. once off the counter blitz i know that um you know and and you do that against a disciplined experienced team that was consciously trying to prevent it. That's a good sign. And there's a couple of really great passes. I've, we've sort of become used to now great passes up ahead by uh, Hobart yeah. that hitting people. Where the, uh, I think one of those, I don't know, it was uh, Aiken's dunk off. Aiken's of those, dunk was off a turnover. Aiken's dunk was off a turnover. Oh, he that's got right. a steal and then just took it himself. Yeah. There was one that I think that Hogart passed. It was like three quarter court to Walker. Yep. To, maybe it's just hit I think, a three or something, but. Uh, and finally, turnovers. You know, I th- Michigan State finished with 12 turnovers. As you mentioned before, they had a lot of those late. But at halftime, it was, I don't know, it was like maybe like 8-6 to six or something like 9-6. to six. It was pretty pretty close. Villanova ended up, I don't think they turned the ball over in the second half. They turned it over, right. I think, six times in the first half or so. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a huge advantage for Villanova. That's what we thought. We had to, Michigan State had to keep it close, which it was. But the difference, of course, in this game was the free throws and getting in the, and the, you know, the foul calls in the second half were – Mainly just by the way Villanova was playing, where they were posting up and attacking the basket, and that crazy three point. Yeah, that was um, three really, point shot. I mean, yeah, they they, <laughs> they replayed that in, in at Breslin, right? <laughs> oh, they replayed a couple times, which you know, Izzo went from angry to um, I don't know what, like yeah, <laughs> I thought his head was going to pop yeah. off. He was so mad. <laughs> yeah, that was that was just terrible, and and you can't, you know, look, bad calls happen, but that it's. You're you're supposedly a big time officiating crew because that's why these guys get the game. Um, you can't blow a call like that. That 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 was just terrible. There was no excuse for it, and, and especially because that's a point of emphasis this year. You know, every year the um, supervisor oh, right, of officials yeah. has a few plays, a few types of calls that they are telling their officials to emphasize. And that one, the kicking out to draw a foul on a jumper is a point of emphasis. So you can't miss that. That's that I would think that's going to be something that's going to be a negative for that official in terms of his grade. And it should be because it was it was terrible. But you know, getting back to the turnovers, look, the the raw number is not horrific. Um, I'd have to look to see what pace that game was played at, how many possessions um, to really have a good feel for what impact that has on Michigan State's turnover percentage. Um, But the problem that you have, of course, was when they came. They came in late game situations and you just, you can't do that. We talked about AJ dribbling right into one. The, The inbound from Joey Hauser, another terrible one. You know, at a point yeah. where they just could not have it. And, you know, it leads immediately to a villain over three and a four point game is now one. You know, and that and and here was the thing. What was really, really horrible about that is I right before it happened. I was thinking, even though it had gotten to a four point game, Michigan State's in great shape here. Why? Oh, yeah, because. Uh, there was what whatever it was, a minute or so left on the clock, something like that. 
And Villanova, I believe at that point, had only committed three fouls. Yes. Now, normally, that's a big thing. You know, you say, well, we want to stay out of the penalty. But it becomes a problem when you're behind and you're that far away from the opponent being in the penalty because then you can't put them on the line. And that was the situation Villanova was in. As it was, Michigan State was still able to take advantage of that that last possession, which ended up with Tyson drawing a foul. Villanova, I think, committed three fouls. It was at least two, maybe three, which it was three, he which was kept three, yeah. resetting the shot clock, giving Michigan State <laughs> more to time to run. You know, so it did end up playing a bit of a factor, but not as much as I, I thought it would. If Michigan State gets a clean inbound and and is able to get the ball past half court it would have been an extremely difficult situation for Villanova to be in and you would have had a different end game you know but instead Michigan State throws the throws a, a, a poor makes a poor decision uh, ends up with a turnover Villanova immediately gets a three-point look and they hit it so now you're in a one possession game and, and there's enough time that they actually don't have. To. That was the funny thing about the fouling. They didn't need to. Those were fouls that they didn't want to commit. I don't believe because they, all they had to do was play the possession out defensively, get a stop and they could go win the game. You know, it, it had a huge, that play had a huge impact on the end game scenarios, you know? And, and so mm-hmm. that's where my problem was with it. It was that, Michigan State did a pretty good job of valuing the ball most of the way, but boy, the timing just sucked. They did when 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 the chips were down and they needed to be mentally strong and physically strong with the ball, they were anything but. So I can't I can't feel good about that, you know. And they're not going to feel good about it. That's for sure. Rebounding was not a key, but it's always a key to the game, of course. And Michigan State's offensive rebounding percentage was uh, 23%, yeah. uh, only six offensive rebounds. Um, but again, that was a team that was packing in and not really allowing much. And and so I don't know. I mean, I guess I felt like, you know, Michigan State so out-rebounded uh, Villanova, uh, 31 to 26. So I think, okay. I mean, you'd expect to against a team that you're, you're sized up against uh, like that. So I don't know what your impression is on that. I, I mean, we got some transition going because we had a lot of clean rebounds, especially from AJ, who gets it, and then he can start the break. Some of it was the way that Villanova played, certainly. And again, there, there, you know, Izzo kept talking about it. I, I had leading into the game with his routine about, hey, this is the, this is the most physically tough team we'll see all year. Um, I wasn't sure about that. I, I see a lot more of the wisdom in that now. Uh, that is a very mature looking and playing team. And one of the ways that it showed up was their defensive rebounding. You know, they just did Michigan state just didn't have a lot of opportunities, you know, and that's what you want. Again, I go back. The Wisconsin thing just keeps coming to my mind. That's one of the things Wisconsin has historically done where they don't even bother trying to contest offensive rebounds, but on their defensive end, they're generally very, very sound. And part of it is that, you know, they're packing guys into the lane. And so they've got guys around the rim all the time. And you don't have a lot of one-on-one situations where your guy can contest for an offensive rebound. You know, it's gang 
gang rebounding with a lot of a lot of uh, defensive bodies in the paint around the rim, and that's what I thought Villanova did. So, um, yeah, rebounding was kind of a wash. You know, Michigan State had a little bit of an advantage, but they certainly didn't do enough where it was a big advantage. And I think for most of the game, it was pretty even. Unfortunately, late in the game, MSU's mistakes ended up giving Villanova a few more opportunities to score than Michigan state had. You know, we talk about this sometimes you really have to view offensive rebounding and turnovers jointly because that's, what's going to determine ultimately those two things, how many opportunities you have. And, um, Villanova won that battle by a little bit, you know, not massively, but enough that it made a difference. You know, I guess, uh, looking at the game, it's a win and Three weeks from now, we'll probably forget most of the game and just the fact that they won it and, and hopefully got some lessons that you know progressed. Unless you see some of the negative things um, at the end game right. become a pattern, you know that's what that's what you don't want to see. Um, but you're right. If if uh, if that doesn't happen, this will be a blip on the screen, and you'll look back. Ah, they got to win against a what I still think is going to be a pretty good team. I mean, I I don't think. Um, I don't think Villanova is I we we I guess we have to see what they become once they've got all their pieces before you can make a final judgment. But I don't I don't know that I believe Villanova is quite on the level of where they've been, say the last six, seven years, where they're, you know, a final four level team. But I still think that's gonna be an NCAA tournament team. I think that's gonna be a, right. a a good victory, you know, one that you're, you're glad to have on the resume come March. Um, so yeah, hopefully that's as much as we'll, we'll have to think about it. So we're going to head into uh, feast week. We're going to go to uh, Portland where Michigan State's going to play in the PK 80 tournament against an opening against air apparent Nate Oates and the yeah, Alabama Crimson Tide. <laughs> I, I have to throw it in there for you, Rod, Rod uh, but uh, and that game will be late on Thursday, uh, so it's going to be <laughs> – it'll be a – and then I think – I, you know, I hadn't even looked at it. MSU is the late game? Yeah, Michigan State's a 10.30 oh, p.m. Good uh, tip. Oh, God. So uh, – <laughs> All right. <laughs> someone's got to play then, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's us. This this was the site of uh, – I'll remind people of one of the more – and and the stand the standard for this is pretty high, but one of the more surreal broadcast uh, experiences I've had in recent years, when MSU played in the PK80, and Bill Walton was doing the game, and I can't even remember off the top of my head <laughs> who Michigan State was playing. Was it UConn, maybe? Um, yes. And uh, he went on a soliloquy about Miles Bridges and all the various bridges that Bill has known in his life, the Golden Gate, <laughs> the Bay Bridge. Um, it, was, it was something else. Uh, I'm not sure if he's on the bro- on the call for these. I I hope not. But um, but in any event, the, look, this is a this is a great event. I mean, I thought Michigan State, if, if you remember in the PK80, there are actually two brackets and I think it's the same thing this year. It is. OK, yeah. so there were two champions that came out of that and Michigan state was one of them uh, played very well in that tournament. In fact, they're showing, if you remember that year, um, 
they started off, and I, I know because I was there, with a very tough loss in the Champions Classic to Duke. And that kind of took a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit of the wind out of people's sails. But then, then the wind kicked back up, back up after their performance in PK-80. And that was the point mm-hmm. that people were really starting to become convinced, oh, maybe Michigan State can be the best team in the nation. It ended up not happening, of course. But at that point in the year, there was a lot of optimism. Uh, so that was a fun event the last time Michigan State was in it. This is going to be another challenging one. I mean, when you look at this field, you got Alabama up first. Alabama, I don't believe, has really played anybody. I know they had a big blowout last night. Um, kind of a, a feast or famine team. I saw they took 46 threes last night. Um, <laughs> we'll talk more about it. I, I, I am going to give you a little bit of a telegraph in this. I absolutely he's a fan of Alabama. I absolutely despise the way they play basketball. I think it's I think as someone who appreciates basketball on a lot of levels, but but as important as any, the aesthetics of the game, I think it's an atrocity what they do. And I understand what you know Nate Oates high school math teacher um vibe is in this. And I get it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue about the what the analytics tell them. I'm just, I'm just saying it's aesthetically, it's bad, um, but dangerous team. I don't dispute that they've got talent. Um, the second game, depending upon what happens, will either be UConn or Oregon. UConn off to a pretty good start. That's a program that's starting to round back into shape. Maybe not quite where Jim Calhoun had them, but definitely getting back to that. It feels to me. Oregon is Oregon. I think they've already had a, a weird loss so far this year, yeah. but um, there's talent there. I think Dana Altman's a solid coach, uh, maybe not quite an elite guy, but pretty good. So either of those teams would pose a challenge. And then the the third game, which we uh, we have no idea how that's going to shake out, but the one team that is sitting in that half of the bracket is North Carolina. And North Carolina, I believe, is the number one team in the country at the moment. Uh, I'm not getting the sense. I haven't seen them yet, but I'm not getting the sense from what I've read and heard that they've played that way thus far. There are some concerns. I saw, actually, I saw a quote mm-hmm. from Hubert Davis where he didn't, he didn't seem to feel that they were at that level. So, and there are obviously Michigan state could face other teams in that half too, uh, depending upon how they play and, and all of that. Um, so it's going to be challenging, but, you know, this was this was the deal. So they're through three of these games of this gauntlet. You got three more in four days, which is good. At least it's not three and three. They do get they do <laughs> yeah. get the Saturday off. So it's Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. Um, and then they get to turn right back around, come home, and travel to South Bend to face Notre Dame on the road. And then they're through it. Then it's they're through this at least I should say this part of it. They've yeah. still got the two Big Ten games against Penn State, Northwestern. Um, you know they have what is it Buffalo, Oakland, and Brown. There's one more in there. I'm forgetting Brown. Brown I think Brown. And then yeah. and then we're through December. Um, so this is really you know the PK80. You get through this, and then the light at the end of the tunnel is there through this early season gauntlet. You know. But I, I see no reason why, if you're Michigan State, you shouldn't go into this thing thinking that you can win it. 
Um, not going to be easy, but you should have you should have enough belief in what you're capable of doing. Let's put it this way: at least on paper, there's nobody in that field that's any more talented than Kentucky was. I don't right. think you're facing teams that test you with their their ability to run good offense and the experience and sophistication of their players offensively. There's nobody that's better in that field than say Gonzaga or Villanova is. So, you know, they've already seen three opponents that match up with anything they're likely to see in, in PK 85. Um, so from that perspective, if you're Michigan state, I, you go out there thinking, Hey, we got three games. Let's take care of business and let's see where we're no standing question. on Sunday night. But I, you know, that, and that's not to say that it's championship or bust from my perspective. You know, I think again, these games are much as the last three games have been, they're primarily about learning. They're primarily about figuring out, okay, what do we have? What answers do we have for questions that get posed of us? What, things have we not solved where do we need to continue to develop uh, you know you learn about lineup combinations all these kinds of things you learn about how you respond to given situations and we've seen good and bad things on that front as you would expect mm-hmm. um, so all of those things are in the equation um, and that continues to be the case so the standard for me again is not well if they don't win the if they don't hoist a trophy at the end of this Um, it's a disappointment. It's just that I think they can go into it believing that they're capable of doing that. You know, no question. You've got three quality opponents and, you know, I guess, and the very, very tail end of this, you can say this, this will help you in seeding. You win, you win this tournament. Your, your NCAA seeding is going to be a whole lot better. Oh yeah. But you know, that's, that's obviously a secondary thing at this point. I mean, I think, you know, all the disaster I, I think the disaster thoughts people had before the season, I was reading about, you know, this team's not going to make the tournament. They're barely going to be their Off bubble the team. Table. Yeah. I, I mean, I think barring something weird happening, I think you can, you can dismiss that out of hand right now and just say, now we're, you know, now we're going to be, not only are we going to make the tournament, but I think we'd be very competitive within the league. Uh, well, and, and that brings something up that I, I did want to talk about uh, for a second since, since you mentioned it, um, <laughs> you know, one reason that kind of stuff you were just talking about mattered a little bit is the feeling at least my feeling, I think the consensus feeling among people who pay attention to the sport was that oh, the big 10 looks a little down yeah. and I'm still not convinced that that won't end up being the case, but, um, you know, I got to watch a little other the last few days, there's been a lot of basketball on. We're not even in, as these things inevitably seem to go, you know, people complain about Christmas starting up early every year, you know, earlier and earlier. <laughs> Feast week now seems to be starting earlier and earlier because for some reason, um, you know, early this week, starting on, uh, what was it, on Thursday maybe? Wednesday, or no, Wednesday yeah. maybe. Wednesday or Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. We started having games at noon, just like in feast week. And I went, wait a minute, this is Thanksgiving week, <laughs> but nevertheless. So, um, got to see a good amount of basketball, and I, I've seen a few Big Ten teams play. 
I saw Michigan play, which was very entertaining. Um, great stuff the other night against <laughs> Arizona State. Really enjoyed that a lot. Um, Michigan's got problems. Classy. Michigan's got a lot of problems. Let's just put it that way. I won't dwell on it yet. Plenty of time for that. Um, Penn State, fascinating to watch because they're going ultra small for large segments of the game. I don't know that that's advisable in a league like the Big Ten, but I also don't feel like Shrewsbury feels like he's got much of a choice. Um, they're not at the end. The end sum is not very different from what I thought. I think they're an entertaining team. I think they play hard. They'll pose some challenges and given nights for people, but I, I don't think they're surprisingly great. But yesterday I saw Indiana and Illinois. And Indiana is the preseason favorite in the league. And Illinois was kind of the big question mark because of how much roster turnover they've had. But, you know, some people were optimistic about them. Um, Indiana, I, I give them credit, but, you know, they went into Xavier. And that's a Xavier is not what they've been and not what they're going to be now that Sean Miller's back there, you know, doing his thing. But that's still a really tough place to play. And given what Indiana has been in recent years, I think any kind of road win against in that kind of environment, even if the opponent is not great, um, you give them credit. And they won barely. They barely held on, but they won. And so that's a step forward for Indiana. You know, that's something that program kind of thing that program has not been capable of doing in recent years. They did. And then Illinois um, down nine at the half against UCLA on a neutral court in Vegas yeah. came storming back. They're playing a different style. They're back. It's not quite the full tilt, ridiculous trapping pressure that Underwood played when he got there, but it's closer to that than we've seen the last few years when they've had to deal with you know, playing uh, Coburn and they couldn't really play that way. Um, and Terrence Shannon was unreal. Now he's not going to go eight for nine from three probably ever again in his life, but he was sensational <laughs> in that game. And so it does cross my mind. Might the big 10 be a little better than we've been anticipating? I think it's still way too early to tell. We're going to know more, you know, next week we go through these feast week things and uh, that begins to fill in some gaps. But, you know, the Big Ten went uh, six and two in the Gavit games. That's not quite the Big Ten ACC challenge because everybody's not involved. Um, it's only eight teams, so about half the league. But um, that's not bad, you know, as an, as an indicator. Right? The only teams take losses – Minnesota got beat, and I'm drawing a blank on who the— Rutgers lost to Temple. Okay, Rutgers lost to Temple. But, oh, but, wait, is Temple's A-10? Yeah. Maybe it's Penn State. Did Penn State win? Um, Penn State was not playing it. Oh, no, Nebraska lost to uh, Nebraska lost to Nebraska St. John's. Nebraska lost St. John's. Lost that was the other one. Um, but, uh, you know, but look, I think that, you know, you have to give credit where credit's due— that's, you know, there's a measure, a little bit of a measuring stick there and the big 10 checked out. Okay. Um, we're going to find out more this coming week. We'll find out more still when, uh, the ACC challenge comes around, 
But right now, I would say the Big Ten at least looks like there's a bit more of a possibility. I mean, I, I seriously wondered, and I think the, I don't think there was any Big Ten team in the preseason top ten uh, in the polls. Yeah. And I felt that was deserved. I'm like, well, they don't have anybody who obviously looks like they belong there. But right now, I, look, we'll see. And again, the polls are for discussion purposes only. But um, <laughs> could Michigan State be in the top 10 next week? Maybe. I think they're going to be knocking on the door if they're not. Um, Illinois, I think, was ranked 19th coming into last night. They will be knocking on the door. And Indiana already was. I think they were 12th. So that's three teams that I think all have reason to feel pretty damn good about where they stand. And Michigan State has by far had the biggest tests. But but still, all three of them have reason to feel pretty good. Purdue really hasn't been. I mean, they had a whole game against Marquette that they held on and won. I don't think we know yet what Purdue is, but, um, you know, we'll see. Ohio State hasn't really played anybody yet, but you know I think they're going to be I think they're going to be good. So all of a sudden, maybe you know, Iowa is off to a, a strong look, start. They look good at yeah. yeah, I mean to win that game the way they did, that was impressive too. So easily, all of a sudden, yeah. you know you have to start. And 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 I also say this in conjunction with the picture nationally. I haven't seen everybody. Um, you know, Baylor got beat by Virginia, so Baylor probably isn't a super team this year. You know, they're still good, but you get what I mean. They're not what they've been in yeah, these right. years. Um, I think that uh, the one team I'm intrigued by that I haven't had a chance to see yet is Houston. Um, Texas probably feels pretty good because they wiped Gonzaga off the floor, but that was a home game. I still don't entirely trust Texas. We'll see. But I've seen most of the others. I've seen Kentucky a couple times. I've seen Kansas. I've seen Duke. I've seen UCLA. I haven't seen Carolina, but I've read enough about them. They're not looking like a super team yet. I don't think there's anybody who fits that mold that we've seen the last couple of years, say the way Gonzaga's been, the way Baylor's been, where you, you look at those teams and say, hey, as long as those guys don't shoot themselves in the foot, nobody's touching them, right? There's nobody mm -hmm. like that. So given that that's the national landscape, maybe, maybe the Big Ten actually checks out a little better than we'd anticipated, which is a bad thing from one perspective, because it means if you're Michigan State, you've got better competition than you thought you might have had in the league. But yeah. the good side of that is, you know, you were talking about seeding stuff. Um, I had wondered... Well, how many really good quality wins are going to be available in the league? May, you know, there would certainly always be some, but maybe not quite as many as we're used to seeing. Well, maybe not. Maybe there will be um, with yeah, the way the right. league seems to be checking out. So, again, a long way to go early, early, early days. But um, I think there is reason to believe the Big Ten might be at least a tick better than it's been. Yeah, we'll look forward to that. We'll watch, uh, as you said, the ACC Big Ten Challenge will be the next one up and, and these holiday tournaments. I think after after that, we're largely, you know, there, there's always a spattering of, yeah. of games Random after games. that in December. But, but by and large, the next two weeks 
we're going to be through the proving ground, so to speak. And, and that will have then set the table for the league's strength in terms of how that gets measured, which is what impacts your seating, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. These, I think after the holidays, pretty much is just the buy games, the B U Y games where you kind of bring some yeah. uh, lesser opponent into your, into your arena to, uh, to beat them up. Uh, so if you are like me, you're going to be, Digging out of uh, Snowmageddon here is uh, I'm watching the snowfall like one to two inches here an hour, and uh, we're getting multiple feet here out the west side of the state. So if you are stay warm, enjoy the snow, go out and go skiing or something after you watch the Spartans this afternoon uh, when they play Indiana. Uh, and we'll be back, I guess, in a couple days with the preview for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go green. <music> At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.